He's always a wet blanket. John 11, verse 16, Jesus says he is going back to Jerusalem to see Lazarus. The disciples object that only a short time before the Jews were trying to stone him. Thomas, let us also go that we may die with him. (laughs) John 14, verse 5, Jesus says, trust in me, I am going to prepare a place for you. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And now here he is again. And everyone else going into raptures about the wonderful realization. Jesus has conquered death. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. And it's more like Victor Meldrew, really, isn't it? And this is his basic attitude. He is a prey to a spirit of unbelief. All Jesus' followers have their own particular characters. Simon Peter is impetuous and hot-headed. John is highly sensitive but can be belligerent. And Thomas is inclined to doubt and despair. And it's just wonderful and so reassuring that God has all sorts in his kingdom right from the start. Because we're just the same, aren't we? All with our own particular mixture of good qualities and bad qualities. Some of us more naturally and temperamentally inclined to pride and arrogance and some more inclined to feelings of insignificance and discouragement. And if we don't watch out, Satan is able to play on us like a violin so that we are kept from the fullness of relationship with him that Jesus wants us to have, either because of reliance on our own imagined strengths or through focusing on our weaknesses. Either way, we lose out because we're listening to the lies that the devil is telling us instead of the truth that Jesus speaks into our lives. Now, Thomas's cautious nature was doubtless a very good quality in many circumstances. I mean, if you were looking for, say, an air traffic controller, would you rather employ Simon Peter or Thomas? <laughs> but look how the spirit of unbelief gets in the way of Thomas. He misses out on all the joy of the other disciples. He spends a miserable week. And why? Well, because he wants to bring everything down to his own level so that he can prove it. In spite of the clear evidence from the ten other apostles, you know, he knows them well, he knows they don't tell lies and things. They say, you know, we've seen it, it's true, look, Jesus, he came, he was fantastic. No, 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 unless I see, unless I put my finger, unless I put my hand, I won't believe it. Because he wants it all shown on his terms. And the trouble is that if we keep insisting on testing God by our own flawed ideas, it keeps us firmly in charge of the investigation. We are able to sit in judgment upon God. And that's why so many people have difficulty coming to faith in the first place. They say to God, prove yourself to me and then I'll decide what to do about you. And God says, get out of my chair and I will reveal myself to you. But I won't whilst you keep playing God. If you're sitting there in judgment on me and saying, well, come on, God, I'll decide, you're sitting in God's seat. I can't reveal myself to you in those circumstances. You come off in humility and say, Lord, I'm sorry, will you show yourself to me? That's when you meet him. But it's not just non-Christians. We do the self-same thing when we insist that God has to show us everything such that we understand it all or that we feel good about it all. And depending on our temperament, we will listen too much either to our feelings or to our intellect, or possibly both.
So much of my own Christian life has been spoilt by my insisting that everything has to be processed through my own little intellect rather than listening to the Holy Spirit of God within me. That's ridiculous, isn't it? There's no my levels of understanding are ever going to be able to accommodate an infinite God. I think in finite terms. I cannot conceive of the universe having had a beginning. Well, but hang on, if it had a beginning, what how was there before? But what was there? How can, how can there not have been a beginning? How, how can the world universe have been permanent? There must have been a star. I look out at the stars. They go on and on. What happens when you get to the end? Well, they can't go on for, you know, what happens when you get beyond that? Well, I've, I've only got a finite little mind. How can I begin to grasp the infinity of God? Or, or how can my concept of goodness be able to grasp the holiness of a perfect God? He's much too big. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, Isaiah 55 verse 8. But we keep trying to say to God, well, you can't do that. You know, if you're going to do that, I need, I need to understand. I know, need to know what's going on. I need to have it at my fingertips. Now, you yourself might by nature be the careful type. And what the devil wants you to do is either cause you to be proud and conceited about it, I mean, those dreadful slapdash people like Simon Peter go charging in without thinking through the consequences. Or else he wants you to feel all fearful and insignificant about it. Oh, I'm afraid I'm not one of those courageous people like Simon Peter. I mean, I I never seem to manage to do anything enterprising. Either way, the enemy has got you dancing to his tune. If you let yourself feel, say, fearful about something or I'm not good enough to do whatever, you are allowing a spirit of fear to govern your life. Whereas what Jesus says in his word is that he has made you competent as a minister of the new covenant, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6. You, with your weaknesses, with the stuff you get wrong, with all the best, he has made you competent as a minister of the new covenant. What a fantastic Affirmation. God has confidence in you. His word says perfect love drives out fear. It's got no place to say, well, I can't, I don't, well, I'm only, I'm only me. Yes, you're only you. That's wonderful. Because God is made perfect in your weakness. And it always boils down to a simple question. Are you going to believe what Jesus says in his word or your own feelings? Or the evidence of your own senses. Are you going to believe what God says about you? Or what you feel in yourself because of the way you were brought up? Jesus has known all along exactly what's going on in Thomas's mind. That's why he was able to use exactly the same words as Thomas himself had used. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And he's quite strict with Thomas, isn't he? He doesn't say, oh, poor old you. Well, of course, you weren't there. Well, I quite understand. It must be very difficult for you. He says, stop doubting and believe. Oh, but hang on. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't my fault. I I wasn't there. Stop doubting and believe. It is sin to persist in unbelief. It is sin to trust your own emotions or rely upon your own thinking more than trusting what the word and spirit tell us. Sometimes people have described as knowing in your knower. That inner sense of 
the witness of the Holy Spirit in you, and your mind can come up with any number of excuses and reasons and things and problems, your feelings, you know, oh, I'm not, not... But knowing in your knower that the Spirit of God says this about you, the Word of God affirms you. And it isn't Thomas who is commended, but blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. And that's what faith is. It's stepping out from the world where we process everything the way we like into one where we trust him more than we trust our own sight or touch or taste or feelings or even thoughts. Now, I find that absolutely blinking terrifying. And many of you may already be feeling quite edgy or cross or fearful at the mere thought right now. And those are the spirits of fear and anger fighting back. Because I like to have things at my fingers. I like to be in control, basically, isn't it? I like to feel, I've processed this, I've got to understand, I can see what God's up to, I agree with him. Um, Field Marshal Lord Montgomery was apparently reported as saying, Our Lord Jesus Christ said, and I agree with him, <laughs> I, I want to be able to work things through and feel, yeah, okay, I've got that, yeah. I I agree with you, Lord. I don't like the thought that actually my little mechanisms, my feelings, my thoughts, are not adequate to cope with the revelation of Almighty God. Thomas's problem was he was trapped by his own littleness. And that's what happens to you and me. We won't grow spiritually until we realise that, Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hope that is seen is no hope at all, Romans 8, verse 24. We live by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. And 2 Corinthians 4, 18, we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but on what's unseen. For what's seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. God had a bigger plan than Thomas had ever imagined. And God has got much bigger plans for you than you have ever imagined. So I want you to think for a moment about the ways in which you have been limiting him in your life. What negative emotions or thoughts have you been giving credence to, giving room for? Those little thoughts that come into the back of your mind and you then, instead of ordering them out, you let them fester and you bring them in and you play with them and then they gradually settle and you trust them. Little spirits of doubt or anger, or pride, or insignificance, fear, (coughs) envy, sloth, lust. They are all stuff that the enemy of souls has been projecting into your life. But that is not the truth about you. The truth about you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the most amazing thing. That's the Holy Spirit, the Christ in you. Yes, with all the mess, with all the Christ in you, the hope of glory. So ask him to forgive you for trying to fit him inside your littleness of feeling or thinking. Repent of listening to the devil's lies about yourself and God. Receive God's forgiveness because whatever, however much you've harboured it, however much you've acted on it, when Jesus died on that cross, he took the penalty for it. When he took it down to hell and he rose again to set you free, to give you a new start. So receive God's forgiveness. 
And then, in the name and authority of Jesus, rebuke the enemy. Tell him in Jesus' name to get out of all your thinking and feeling. He's got no rights over you. You belong to Jesus. He's bought you at a price. So send those spirits, negative spirits, to be trampled under Jesus' feet. And resolve not to listen any more to whatever it is that the enemy's been telling you. Replace his lies with the truth of God in Christ, dwelling in you right now by his Holy Spirit. So as we stop, what's God telling you right now about yourself, about his confidence in you, about the stuff you've been listening to that you don't need to? Hold that word that God is speaking to you. Hear it, receive it. Let it earth in you. Make it part of you. Because that is God's own truth about you. And like Thomas, say to him, My Lord and my God. Amen.